The Athletic. The Champions League is back and to be fair, so is the Europa League, Man United fans, which means there's no better time to sign up for all the unrivaled coverage at The Athletic. Right now, new subscribers can get a half-price annual subscription that works out less than £1 a week for an entire year. All you have to do is head to theathletic.com slash league show. But hurry, you've only got until the 25th of February. That's theathletic.com slash league show. Hello and welcome to the Totally Football League show. Extra time in association with Paddy Power. Why do we need extra time? Well, because there's so, so much football at the moment. So much to talk about. Some might say too much. We, George Ellick, certainly do not. I'm Ali Maxwell, locking heads, figuratively speaking, with my friend George. How are you getting on today, mate? I am good. Very excited to be speaking to you about all of the football going on in the EFL. Poor grammar, though. Poor start there. I'm good. I think I'm well would be uh, more correct. But let's this not let that... This is a quill podcast, Ali. Come on. <laughs> let's not we're let here. that... We're men of the people. Let's not let this poor start derail us. Um, before we get into all of the, the meatiness of today's pod, I mean, we can't ignore rumours that Thierry Henry could be the next Bournemouth manager. Fancy getting him on the pod over Zoom? I definitely do fancy that. I'm, I'm not going to say what I think of that appointment in the risk that it might reduce the chances of that happening. <laughs> so, um, yes, I would love to get Thierry Henry. Once, a quick story for you. I was um, going on Sky News in, in my former job at Oddschecker and um, to talk about Arsene Wenger leaving Arsenal and who the next manager might be. And when I was in the waiting room, the runner came out and said to me, by the way, just to let you know, there's a chance you'll be going on with Thierry Henry. <laughs> And this was my first ever live TV interview. And I, if I wasn't already nervous, I was then absolutely terrified that I was going to be sitting alongside Arsenal's greatest ever player to talk about the news of Arsene Wenger leaving. When the runner came and got me, he was like, yeah, Thierry's going to be five minutes late. He's going to be on after you. And I was pretty gutted. Instead, you've been stuck with me for the last few years. Uh, what's coming up on today's pod? Yeah, we've got an interview today with another owner and uh, of an EFL club, Thomas Sandgard, who we speak to about all things Charlton. Uh, then we are going to look ahead to the weekend and preview three of the biggest games in the three leagues. But first and foremost, it is, of course, our midweek reviews. Oh, mate, keep going. We're almost there. Oh, the legs have gone. Pressing is hard, the weather is so mentally fatigued. Alright lads, already on the way down are you? How was your view from the top? <laughs> Liverpool might have peaked under Klopp, but at Paddy Power if things aren't going your way, we'll give you your money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold acre lets you down. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10, min on 2 to 5 on each leg, online exclusive, exclude shop bets and enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell. Yes, time to catch you up with what happened on Tuesday and Wednesday night across the EFL. First, the good news was a minor miracle, seemingly, based on what's happened so far this year. All of the EFL games scheduled to be played this midweek actually went ahead. No waterlogged pitches, no frozen pitches, no COVID issues, no problem. And we're going to be giving out awards for the team and player of the midweek for each league, George, starting with our team of the week in the championship, who gets the gong QPR of course it is QPR after beating Brentford in that West London derby 2-1 coming from behind at Loftus Road to do it it could only be them and the strength of feeling I, I often think this is a derby that goes kind of under the radar I guess in terms of, of the strength of feeling here and for QPR fans who'd witnessed four consecutive defeats against the Brentford side for a QPR fan base who have throughout the whole of this rivalry being the club with a bigger fan base with better prospects higher up the footballing pyramid having now to face up to the fact that Brentford will likely whether it's this season next season or whatever be getting promotion to the Premier League and leaving them in the championship this win is a very significant indeed uh, Flo, Flo Lloyd Hughes who is regularly on the Totally Football League show on a Monday and a big QPR fan tweeted after the game, I really did think I was going to be 40 by the time QPR beat Brentford again. Unbelievable. And for those who don't know Flo, she is nowhere near 40. And, you know, Brentford coming into this game 
on the back of a you know what was a, a disappointing defeat to a very impressive Barnsley side, look to have buried that straight away with a goal from Ivan Tony to put them one 0 up. As has often been the case with QPR in recent times, Seni Dieng made a couple of really good saves. One from Matthias Jensen, which would have been one of the goals of the season, had it gone into the bottom left-hand corner. An amazing spin and turn, and then a shot from 30 yards out, which was saved. But then it was two January transfer window signings that came up trumps. Sam Field, a player, Ali, that I know you like a lot, came off the mm. bench on his debut and hit a lovely left to strike into the bottom corner to make it one all. And then just a couple of minutes later, Charlie Austin won it. And, you know, it was a classic Charlie Austin goal, ball dropping into the box, him getting a shot on target, deflected and into the bottom corner and massive celebrations. Wallace took it beautifully. Oh, this could be a chance. They've done it. It's Charlie Austin! What a turnaround! <laughs> I haven't seen Charlie Austin run that fast uh, for a long time as he did over to Mark Warburton in the dugout. This was a really significant derby win for QPR. It's another win that continues this really good run of form that has moved them from being you know, relegation dangers to possibly mid-table mid team looking upwards rather than downwards. And for their fan base, um, yeah, this this could be the last time these two teams play each other in the league for a while. So good for them to get bragging rights for the time being. Wow, they've just made it a little more likely than it was uh, this time 24 hours ago that they might be playing each other again in the championship next season. Uh, my player of the week in the championship also happens to be the division's best player, Emmy Buendia of Norwich City. And I think when you talk as often as we do about all things EFL. There's sometimes a risk of fatigue when talking or hearing about how good certain players are. You don't want to be repeating yourself every week because it's not particularly compelling audio content. But I think when it comes to Buendia, you, you can't fight you can't fight it. You cannot fight it. He's an absolute joy to watch. And that was very much the case at St Andrews on Wednesday night. He and Timu Puki in tandem, far too good for Coventry to handle uh, in what was a, a very comfortable 2-0 win for our current league leaders in the championship. I should mention Todd Campwell as well, who was excellent. Those three dovetailing brilliantly. Buendia got the assist for the first goal. Classic through ball, splitting two defenders for Puki to run onto and roll into the corner. And then Buendia, he has shown all season long that those who say the big issue with Buendia is that he's not a goal threat. He's been proving them wrong since the very start of the season. And he broke his neck to get alongside Puki to tap in an unselfish square ball to double the lead. Puki stolen possession. Puki's nicked the ball and he's running through into the penalty. A team of Puki for 2-0. Plays it across to Buendia. That is 2-0. I mean, there's so much I love about Emi Buendia. We could really be here all day. But the thing that struck me about his performance in midweek is that in scoring a goal and an assist, we're reminded that this is a, a, a really good, technical, creative, skillful player. But absolutely nothing Buendia does is for the sake of it. You know, that there's 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 not a hint of showboating. Every dribble, every piece of skill, every clever pass is done um, for the good of the team rather than to make himself stand out. And, and I think that really speaks to what a great team player he is as well. So... You run out of superlatives for Emmy Buendia. The best I can do this midweek is, is to say I think he's the league's best player and he certainly was in midweek this week. Uh, before we move on to League One, George, we should react as well to a, a departure in a managerial sense. Bristol City's Dean Holden, who was appointed in the off-season, was sacked after their 2-0 home defeat against Reading. Not for the first time, George, uh, recently. Bristol City really just not turning up at all. And it was those performances, not just in a short period, but stretched out over a few months now that meant the Bristol City board, I guess, felt like they kind of had to act. Yeah, it was interesting this because I think most people felt like this was probably going to come after the abject 6-0 defeat to Watford, a Watford side who'd struggled to score more than one goal from open play in games this season. That wasn't the case. And Stephen Lansdowne, the, the owner of Bristol City, actually did an interview with the local press where he... I mean, it was the dreaded vote of confidence. He said, you know, we brought Dean in for a reason. We we know what kind of a guy he is, how passionate he is, how hard he works. And that hasn't changed. So for, for them to be beaten 2-0 um, by Reading side, who are also pushing for promotion, uh, and just 24 hours after that interview for, for him to be to be sacked was maybe a bit of a surprise in that sense. But in the context of, of what they have done this season, of the downward trend of their performances and the total inability to create chances against basically any opposition in the championship. 
has meant this has been coming. You know, the, the points tally they've got has them far clear of relegation. But I would say in their current guise over the last four or five games, Bristol City have probably been the worst team in the championship. And that's including the likes of Wickham as well. Um, so not a surprise in that sense. Dean Holden will rightly point to the injury issues that he's had, and that has no doubt had an impact. Um, but I think either way, you'd, you'd expect to see a team being put out. It's still not a bad first eleven. You'd want to see a side who are capable of preventing the opposition from creating good chances. You'd, you'd want to see a side who have a semblance of idea of what method by which they want to attack. And the stats show that hasn't been the case. You know, 23 shots on target in their last 10, that's the worst in the league. And they face the third most. 10 shots on target in their last six, that's the worst in the league. And they face the second <laughs> most. Mm. It wasn't getting any better, was it? The third fewest points in the league in the last three months, uh, 10 defeats in their last 13. So Dean Holden is out and Bristol City are tasked with finding a manager just as they were a few weeks ago. Michael Appleton, Russell Martin, Paul Cook, all being linked by the local media. Now, I saw unverified this and I haven't had the time to check it myself, which doesn't reflect too well on me, George. I saw someone on Twitter yesterday say that this may well be the first time ever that both Bristol clubs have been managerless. Now, my first thought was this would be an amazing fly on the wall documentary, basically tracking the two managerial appointments, maybe putting them in an apartment together in the centre of town and seeing how they get on, uh, whoever they may be. But Bristol Rovers had a much more positive midweek this week than they did last week, where their defeat um, saw them sack Paul Tisdale shortly after. Well, given that Joey Barton is the odds-on favourite for the Bristol Rovers job, I think that might be quite a hard sell to whoever's going to be taking the, uh, the <laughs> Bristol City job. Uh, but Bristol City will be hoping that their move to replace Dean Holden will have as good an immediate effect as it has done for Bristol Rovers, who are our League One team of the week as they beat Pompey 3-1 at the Mem. Now, I've got in my notes here... Welcome to the party, Jonah Ayunga, who is the Kenyan striker who they brought in from Haven and Waterlooville in the summer. He'd only made one start for gas before this game, which came on the 16th of January against Charlton. And this was his second brought in by caretaker boss Tommy Widrington, who his day job is being head of recruitment at Bristol Rovers. So probably a player that Widrington knows a lot about. And maybe this suggests that a player that Widrington thinks should have featured more often. And not only did Ayunga score two brilliant goals after going 1-0 down against Pompey with a John Marquis opener, they were brilliant goals. They were exactly the kind of goals that Bristol Rovers have lacked this season. You look at the players they have at their disposal. Brandon Hanlon is their top goal scorer with six goals in 2,125 minutes. He's also a player who's never been prolific at any time in his career, really. He's a very technically gifted player he's a good forward but not going to be the kind of guy who's going to get you the goals that you need but with Ayunga here two strikes so clinical so powerful in his in his effort to get to goal in the first one and he just looks like he could be the spark that could instigate Bristol Rovers getting back to where they want to be because this is a side let's remember who were touted by some as dark horses for the league at the beginning of the season now trying to fight for their safety and the method by which they won this game was just taking on Pompey at their own game now, Pompey had 66% possession. That is not something we're used to seeing with Portsmouth this season. Bristol Rovers very happy to sit in, very happy to play on the break. And when you saw the method of their goals, it's easy to see why. Even the penalty, the third goal, was created by some brilliant pressing by Leahy, who then uh, who nicked the ball off the defender before being fouled and then put the ball away from the spot. This was a, a, a different Bristol Rovers than we've seen so far and a much improved performance against you know a, a team in Pompey who've had their troubles at Fratton Park this season, but generally are as good as it gets away from home. So all credit to Bristol Rovers. It'll make this job much easier for whoever comes in to take it. Tommy Widrington, I mean, it, more performances like this, and I, and I reckon he might be touted for it himself, um, which might mean that his, uh, his son being a, a dancer on Dancing with the Stars may not be the most famous Widrington going in the UK anymore. Wonderful piece of uh, of research. You do go the extra mile Thank for us. Thank you, Wikipedia. I, I appreciate that. Look, Ayunga could have been a player of the midweek, couldn't he? But Malik Wilkes went one better with a hat-trick for Hull City last night against Wigan in their 5-0 win. Hull and whether or not Wilkes was motivated by the 8-0 defeat dished out by Wigan 
to this Hull side that he was playing in last season in the Championship, and he was very much start he started in that game, or whether he just sensed that uh, Wigan's defence, which has been cobbled together over the last month and has been really up against it, you'd say, uh, and the goalkeeper as well would would give him maybe an easier night than than some of his previous uh, opponents. I'm not sure, but he certainly showed off his full range. I think all three goals. Um, together sum up the best of Malik Wilkes if he were to release an album uh, about Tuesday night that's what it would be called Wednesday night I should say the first goal was a brilliant piece of skill and improvisation in the box which a smart turn really which took him from back to goal to shooting opportunity on his trusty left foot in a split second the defender pretty bamboozled by the whole thing that was a lovely goal the second one he rolled the defender 25 yards out carried the ball forward finished well from outside the box with his weaker foot just kissing it in off the far post and his third goal left-footed 25 yards out curling into the bottom corner watching them back there's definitely a sense that the defenders and the goalkeeper could possibly have made it a bit tougher for him. But, you know, they're all very, very good finishes. And, and Wilkes hadn't scored in six games before this, which is his longest drought of the League One season so far. Nine goals in total now. I think that's a, a good return for Wilkes. But he's a player that leaves you wanting more, I think it's fair to say. And also as a, a wide forward who really is a pure goal threat. I mean, he doesn't really set his teammates up at all. He's got no assists this season. I think he's only got one in total for Hull in over 50 games now. So you really want, if you've got a player like that playing out wide, you need them to be getting into double figures um, if you're to be challenging towards the top end of the table, I think. So um, let's see if he can build on that. No question in my mind, though, that Malik Wilkes, the key performer in League One in the midweek with that hat-trick against Wigan. We won't move on from League One without just mentioning uh, an absolutely bizarre, I think, unprecedented incident, George, that took place in the Ipswich nil Northampton Town nil game. Uh, referee Darren Drysdale putting his head into Alan Judge. Um, I've really enjoyed the different phrases being used by news outlets here because I think we all know what it looks like when a player normally puts their head into another player. It's quite a weird phrase to use, right? But no one wants to say headbutt because that's too extreme. And some of the some of the headlines have used locks heads, which I love, as if they're sort of rutting stags. Um, squared up to feels like a, a popular one. That's That kind of makes sense, I think. Leans into uh, another really good one. So, I mean, most 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 of all, George, because you know I'm a bit of a, uh, a referee sympathiser. Uh, most of all, I've just been, I've just found the whole thing quite amusing. But um, it's fair to say that there are a lot of people who are, who are taking it pretty seriously. Yeah, I think leans into is quite generous. Um, you know, it's quite quite an aggressive lean. It's a bit like you on a on a Saturday when you're uh, when you're off work. But it's um, but, but yeah, I mean it's it's bizarre. And to be frank, you can't really do that. Um, I have some sympathy with with referees given the amount of behaviour that is totally unacceptable that we see players. Um, an act towards refs. I guess we don't know what triggered this from 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 Drysdale, um, but you can't do that. And uh, the one person who's probably quite relieved that it happened is Paul Lambert because um, it has taken away some of the, well, it's it's taken the narrative completely away from what was another totally abject display at home against a side right towards the bottom end of the table. Um, but I have a feeling we won't be seeing that referee refereeing another EFL game for at least a few weeks. Just a, a positive word to finish on the reaction of Alan Judge, uh, who was at the heart of the incidents being leaned into, so to speak. Uh, he told the Ipswich website afterwards, referees have a tough job to do and it was heat of the moment stuff that happens in football. The photo makes it look worse than it was and to be honest, the matter was finished from my end as soon as I walked off the pitch. I wasn't looking for the referee to apologise. I wasn't looking for him to be charged. There was never going to be a complaint from me and I made that clear. Like I said, it finished for me straight away. I don't think there was any of of the sort of shenanigans in League Two, George, that we saw maybe in League One, but some very, very lively football matches, that's for sure. And our team of the week involved in probably the entertaining game of the midweek. Yes, Bolton Wanderers beating Mansfield 3-2 away from home. And before I get into my match report, I'm going to let you listen to Nigel Clough, the Mansfield manager's match report. And it's fair to say he wasn't too impressed. It was a very, very good performance uh, and a poor result in the end. Uh, but when you concede the two goals that we did, one's a fluke across that's flown in the far post, which is the changing uh, 
point of the game really. 2-0, we're comfortable. Uh, we're going for the third goal uh, and somebody scored a complete nut of fluke and it changes the complexion of the game for the last 10 or 15 minutes. So Nigel Clough calls the Bolton win a fluke. He calls their first goal a fluke. He calls their second goal a fluke. But I am saying that any side who comes back from 2-0 down against one of the form sides in the league deserves credit and especially given that Bolton haven't come from two goals behind and won an away game since 2004. So well done Ian Ever and well done Bolton. And looking at the game itself, now Mansfield were quite clearly the better side um, for the first well, until um, the last kind of 15-20 minutes of the game. Having said that, Bolton did strike the post early on at 0-0 and there was a huge slice of luck as well. Uh, for for Ollie Clark's opener as, as Matt Gilks kind of punched the ball in the back of the net from a long shot. So I think Nigel Clough has to have a, a quick look at his own um, performance and his own goal before just dismissing what Bolton did as being luck. The first goal, though, from Bolton was ex- exactly as he mentioned. It was an overhit cross that went in. The second was an own goal where I think it's pretty harsh to say it was lucky. It was one of those where it was a, a decent low low cross played into the six-yard box that ricocheted off a defender who should probably do better. So again, maybe their own failings. But the moment that won it was pure class from Arthur Nahua, who came off the bench at 2-0, whose incisive running and his ability on the ball and his quality in the final third has constantly meant that Bolton fans are incredibly keen to see him with more minutes on the pitch. And it was a moment of quality where he got the ball laid off the ball from, from Owen Doyle about 20, 22, 23 yards out and just struck it into the bottom right-hand corner to win the game. And his uh, post-match interview was almost as interesting as Nigel Clough's, where having a go at the pitch at Mansfield, he said that his experience in playing Sunday League meant that he was uh, able to, to step up <laughs> to the plate on uh, on. Wednesday night but a really important result for Bolton again uh, this is the second time they've come back uh, against a decent side in this division of course they were 3-0 down against Carlisle away before coming back to draw that game 3-0 and nearly getting the victory so for a side who I think at the beginning of the season we were concerned about what we were seeing in terms of their fight and in terms of their playing style we're now seeing a very different Bolton a Bolton who are happy to even when they're behind are still there to give it a go who believe in themselves and uh, Nahua also said after the game that now we feel like we can win against any team we have the quality and it's important to note just what these kind of results and these kind of comebacks can do so all credit to Bolton but for Mansfield fans I wouldn't be too uh, concerned there was still enough in that performance to suggest that, that we're not going to see a massive drop off given their incredible run of form from a few weeks ago Three of the league's bottom five coming up in their next three games, Bolton. So worth keeping an eye on them. If they can beat any team, uh, as Arthur said there, uh, then they they could be firing themselves up towards the playoffs in no time. Uh, Our player of the week in League Two was a tricky one for me to select. There are a lot of contenders. Pierce Sweeney at the heart of an Exeter uh, rearguard action, which was quite remarkable, I must say. They were down to nine men before half-time and had a 1-0 lead to defend against Newport. Now, I made sure I watched the second half on iFollow because it's not every day that you get to watch 45 minutes of 11 versus 9. They played a a 5-3-0 formation and they kept Newport at bay until right at the death when Newport scored a back post header to equalise. But I think the general feeling was that to actually leave with one point, uh, not to be turned over, not to, to crumble in the face of numerical disadvantage was pretty impressive. But it's not Sweeney. It's not even Bailey Cargill who scored a brace for Forest Green in their 4-3 win against Oldham. I, I, I mentioned Bolton's game being the entertaining one, but I forgot about Forest Green for Oldham 3. I'm going to go with Stevenage goalkeeper David Stockdale. A pretty recognisable name. I think there might be some listeners surprised to hear that Stockdale is the Stevenage goalkeeper. That's because he was signed on an emergency loan after a an injury to their goalkeeper Cummings on loan from Chelsea. He's made five appearances now. This was his second clean sheet. And Stockdale might be 35 now uh, and he might have only played, I think it's nine league games in two and a half years before uh, this month. But you can see that he's too good for the level. You're reminded why he's played most of his football towards the top end of the championship in his career. I mean, the first half, there was a header. This wasn't an unbelievable save, but there was a header that was heading towards the corner. Stockdale dived, 
plucked it out the air and held onto the ball rather than pushing it away. And it just had that extra bit of assurance and quality that stands out um, in League Two goalkeepers. His big moment, the reason he's player of the midweek, was right at the end as Crawley's Tom Nichols was taking a penalty to level it up in injury time for Crawley. And Stockdale, after a tip-off from an analyst, he didn't dive, he stood strong which I think always think takes a bit of bravery. People always say, why does why don't the keepers just stay in the middle of the goal? Because everyone seems to go down the middle these days. Well, he did. And he pushed what was a very powerful penalty over the bar. Um, a nice little wrinkle. I think you might have forgotten, George, that Fabio Capello was quite the fan of David Stockdale when he was England manager. And in fact... Although he doesn't have an England cap. Check this out from 2011, this news item. Fulham understudy David Stockdale had originally been selected by Fabio Capello in the Three Lions squad to face Switzerland in a Euro 2012 qualifier, but subsequently notified the Italian and his staff that he was due to be married just 24 hours prior to the game at Wembley. The 25-year-old, who made 10 appearances for Fulham this season, had been prepared to join up with the squad immediately after the ceremony, but the staff decided that would be unfair, paving the way for Rob Green to return to the international squad. So, never did get that England cap, but he's winning games of League Two football 10 years on, and uh, I think that speaks to good longevity and good quality. All right, then, that's the midweek action covered. We've got the weekend to come. But next up, we're speaking with someone who's got very, very lofty ambitions for the League One club that he owns. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football League Show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Time now for our big guest interview as Ali caught up with Charlton owner Thomas Sandgard. And let's set the scene. <laughs> Sandgard is sat in his office in Colorado in his black tux, white shirt unbuttoned. Two footballs behind him, one balanced delicately on what looked like a Charlton Athletic mug. All in all, he was looking very smooth. Now you have the image. Let's hear from the man himself, Charlton owner, Thomas Sangard. Good morning to you. Uh, it's it's great to be able to talk to you around six months after you first popped up on our radar, us being those who cover the EFL. And at that time on this podcast, we were talking a lot about the situation behind the scenes at Charlton. So it's great to talk to you at this stage. You arrived with such energy and, and passion for the project. And so I want to ask first up, how's the reality of being the owner of Charlton lived up to the expectation? Uh, yeah, and I would certainly say so and more too. It's, it's interesting you call it a project because now it's, it's really become a very significant part of my life. So it's, it's no longer a project. It's, I'm living it. Living it and loving it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a lot of fun. Uh, of course, I'd like to see us win win every game, but uh, reality is that there, there are a few other teams that have a say on that. So um, we just keep working working hard at it. So eventually we'll, uh, we'll, we'll start improving. But uh, overall, yeah, it's, it, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot to do and a lot being in the middle of it. Thomas, as we kind of alluded to at the top, the, the situation of the club as you arrived and as you took charge, uh, I think that the fan base certainly, but also part of the parts of the infrastructure of the club had been perhaps poorly treated uh, over the last few years. To what extent have you and others who work for the club had to work to rebuild things over the last six months? Well, we uh, we started, or I started very very early on with uh, putting uh, two new positions in place uh, that that really just bridged some of the gaps that were. So we put Wayne Mumford in as a commercial director so we could start doing more and getting, getting sponsorships and, 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 uh, and also helped me um, develop the whole new TV experience that, that we have. Um, and on the football side, I hired Jed Ruddy uh, as technical director to start building all the infrastructure and, and the way we operate for the future um so those were the main things the rest 
the rest of the club was was pretty well intact, and maybe it was also more of a um, sort of an emotional state that people were in after the the, the past many years of, of different ownerships. Um, so there was a lot of uh, very loyal and hardworking people in in the club that I was very excited to see, and most of that just continues and and may, is maybe even doing better today because uh, they they get the kind of backing that um, that the little leaders so. I think we're all used to watching games on iFollow or other streaming services this season. But Valley Pass, which is Charlton's equivalent, is quite the production now, uh, hosted by Scott Minto, who's a very recognisable and top, top tier presenter in English football. Great guests as well, like Alan Kerbishley. The production value really stands out, I have to admit, as someone who, who quite often watches games where the feed only gets switched on about two minutes before the start of the game. Um Whose decision was it to make such a presumably investment financially? Because I know how much a, a production like that costs, but also in terms of, of time and uh, and expertise. Why was that decision made? Oh, that, that was that was clearly me uh, sitting here in the US and and watching this, and then uh, maybe half an hour earlier, I'd been watching a Premier League game on uh, on on the US version of of Sky Sports and. And how that's all set up, I was like, this this just can't be. This is a terrible experience. My goal is to um, ex- expand our uh, viewers in, in, in England, but certainly even more uh, internationally, all over the, the, the globe, as, as hopefully the, the, the club continues to do better. Um, and I would be embarrassed. That, that was basically my, my statement to our commercial director. I'm, I was embarrassed at that point to start promoting it because – if we started catching some interest, uh, maybe we could do uh, some promotions, etc. And and people were to see that they, they would lose interest immediately. So I said, we, we got to get an experience like Sky Sports. Um, and um, so they they were really good at within just a couple of months to put something together that is uh, such such a, a an improvement over what what we already have and what other clubs have that uh, now it's enjoyable, really good commentary. There's this exciting introduction, etc. And um, we have multiple cameras. It's now uh, high definition instead of a uh, low resolution uh, that you see and I follow. So um, that was, that was really important to me. That was one of the first things I started, started addressing. And uh, on the pitch, League One has been as entertaining as ever. Charlton Athletic very much playing their part with some incredible matches recently. Uh, as we speak, the Addicts sit just outside the playoffs. Uh, what are you making of watching this team, uh, the performance of the team, and, and how close you are to achieving your ambitions from, from the start of the season? Um, obviously, um, the... Uh you could say the the expectations uh, at the beginning of the season before we started uh, adding players were very bleak. We we clearly lost the, the first several games, etc. And we're looking to maybe even get out relegated. So we got the acquisition over the finish line. We got we got some players in in that first transfer window, as well as some additions here in January. I would say we probably have, if you look player for player, the best squad in the league. And of course, they're, they're all new to the team. They need to, to, to work together. We've had a lot of injuries uh, throughout the middle of the uh, the season that has really hurt us. Um, and those players are now beginning to come back. Uh, they, unfortunately, were some of our better players that, that's been injured and, 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 and quite a few of them. But one of the things I've done early on was to improve on our um, medical, medical staff and the way we we um, go about um, preventive uh, measures as, as, as well as treating players that are injured. Uh, so long-term, we'll, we'll be doing better on, on that. But um, So we're now in, in a position, uh, we're wobbling between the sixth place and eighth place here recently. And um, I believe with the, the squad that, that we have, it shouldn't be too much uh, to expect that we'll be, um, we'll be in a a position to be in the playoffs. Um, the first and second place might be out of reach now because we've had many games that looked like we could clearly have won them, but we ended up either tying them or or losing those games. 
uh, and obviously football is is, is always a, a game of, of, of margins, very close margins, and uh, just a few mistakes um, in the defense, uh, for instance, or a few few calls that that uh, hasn't gone gone our ways from from referees uh, has made a, a huge difference. We're still hanging in there, and there's still um, about 20 games left uh, for us to play. So. Uh, I think we, we still have a very good chance at, at ending up in the playoffs. Uh, and lastly, as mentioned at the top, you're around six months uh, since this began, since Thomas Sangard and Charlton came together. Uh, now that you've got your feet under the table and, and you, you, you know what it is to be the owner of, a, of an EFL club, what can you tell the fans about your ambitions in the, in the short and medium and long term now for Charlton Athletic? Well, nothing has really changed. I think um, if you look at the big picture, uh, the, the Charlton brand, uh, the potential, the history of the club um, certainly justifies a, the presence in the Premier League. Um, it's just a matter of uh, being smart about it and also work, work hard to, uh, to get there. So my goal is still um, in, in, in about a five years time frame to be in the Premier League and, and the following three years after that to make sure we consistently are in the top half of the Premier League. Um, so how do we get there? That's to answer your question about the short term. Um, other than everything is about winning games, obviously. Um, it's about creating a foundation that gets us ready to, a, um, to, to get through the championship in a solid way and and, and not rely on coincidences, et, et, et cetera, but so that the whole infrastructure and everything can support it and also be ready for a presence in, in the Premier League. Um, and, and obviously, we will uh, we'll be doing a lot to improve the way we do recruiting, et cetera, so that we, worst case, if we uh, have one more season here in, in League One, uh, can, can get out of it uh, without too much friction. Um, so that's a worst case scenario, one more one more season in League One. Uh, if we have a little bit of luck and, and some of the other teams stumble on the way, um, hopefully we will uh, we'll get promoted already this year. We're ready for it. The club has really improved so much. Charlton owner Thomas Sandgard there. And there's one comment that stands out more than any other. In five years, he wants to be back in the Premier League. And not only that, Ali, but once he's there, three years until they're a top half side. Mm. Well, I mean, you have to have ambitions, right, George? You have to have lofty ambitions, I think. And you're, you're right that hearing that could be something of a red flag for those of us who think we know a lot about the EFL and, and think that that sort of development that quickly that sort of progress and establishing himself as a Premier League side is is unlikely shall we say in the time frame but I think what makes me feel a little better from a, a Charlton perspective is that prior to that which came in his last answer I think a lot of what he said did reassure me that he has not taken over Charlton Athletic just as a, a plaything, that he has no interest necessarily although he's clearly very hands-on and very involved in like meddling, if you know what I mean, and the football side of things, um, you know, he didn't even take maybe as much credit as he as he as I sort of <laughs> led him down the path to take when I asked about the infrastructure having been somewhat decimated um, by the ownership or the two ownership groups before he took charge. So, you know, I, I like the appointments that he's made and, and setting up a modern structure. I love personally what he's done with with the broadcast side of things with Valley Pass and these things might not seem like huge things, but I think they speak to um, a, a good start, a good first few months of, of Thomas Sangard's ownership in terms of of the things that, that really matter long term. I know that the results aren't necessarily uh, as good as he clearly would want. And certainly a lot of the fan base as well are, are frustrated with the inconsistency so far. But I must say, once I got over the fact that I felt very underdressed, I, I, I enjoyed listening to him and uh, I look forward to seeing what happens in the next few months. I mean, you listened back to it, George. What was your feeling as a as a sort of spectator, I guess? Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, I was impressed. I, I think we always treat new owners at EFL clubs with caution. Um, I think there are certain people who would look at, at you know, a Danish-born, American-based businessman and wonder why they're getting involved with Charlton Athletic Football Club. But what's 
early and obvious to see is that not only has Thomas Sangard since he come in not balked at the task in front of him, he is relishing it and rising to it. You know, he is providing the finances in order to you know, improve things on the pitch in terms of the January transfer window. I, you know, there was obvious, obviously some issues on deadline day with trying to bring in a wide player. They ended up getting Jaisimi very late on, but you know, the the willingness and the intent to spend money was clearly there. You look at Valley Pass. You know, he came in and saw the way that the club was running its streaming service and thought, no. I'm going to spend money and I'm going to improve this and I'm going to change it. And that has reaped its rewards as well. So you've clearly got a guy who's ambitious, but it's not pie in the sky stuff. He's not a dreamer. He's somebody who looks to come in and have a look at what's going on and impact the change that is going to help them achieve their goals. And that's all you can really ask for as a football owner. We've seen this in the past. We've seen it go south. And the the sad fact is, is that fans only really appreciate it when results mirror what's going on you know mirror the the intent i i saw some charlton fans on deadline day when they were struggling to bring players in even suggesting that that thomas was was probably more likely willing to spend his money on his precious valley pass than he was on players and that's the kind of nonsensical criticism you're going to get when things are going badly taking a positive and turning it into a negative um but so long as things on the pitch do improve he, he seems like he has the capacity and the understanding and the desire to really achieve those ambitious goals and even if he falls just short you know even if say in eight years they're not a top half Premier League side aiming that high and going getting halfway there it wouldn't be too bad let's hope that things go well uh, under Sangard's ownership we'll wait and see if they will achieve his goals with regards to the Premier League but our focus of course is purely on the EFL and there's a full slate of fixtures we hope we cross our fingers coming up this weekend which we'll preview now This is the Totally Football League show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Right, weekend preview time in the Championship to kick us off. George Reading against Middlesbrough. You're taking the temperature, as you do so well, of Reading as they head into this game. Interesting, Reading. They are in a pretty delicate position at the moment. Um, They come into this on the back of a 2-0 win against Bristol City. As we spoke about earlier in our Dean Holden chat, I wouldn't take too much um, from beating Bristol City at the moment. I think most teams in the division would be able to coast past them. They've lost their last two home games against Brentford and Millwall. But that Millwall game, which was the last one, the most recent one, they played okay in. It wasn't necessarily too alarming a performance. But the Borough come to the Medeski at a time where they are seven points behind Reading. You know, they're still chasing down the playoffs. Reading themselves as six points shy of Brentford in second place. But of course, Swansea in third have a couple of games in hand. So at the moment, it could really go either way. Um, I was on Quest with Michael Morrison a couple of weeks ago, the acting captain at Reading, and and he echoed what uh, Tom McIntyre had said the night before uh, after the Bournemouth win. And he said, you know, our aim, what we're doing is we're just aiming for automatic promotion. And then if we fall just short, great news, we're in the playoffs. But a loss here, a defeat here could be that result which kind of moves them away from the promotion race for the foreseeable and brings them much closer to the chasing pack because at the moment there is very much a discernible top six but as we know that could change very soon one big issue for Reading at the moment is John Swift who looks like he could be out for the rest of the season through injury and we know how important that three of Olise, Ejaria and Swift behind Zhao has been they, they don't really have a, a like for like replacement. We saw Estevez playing there in midweek. He had really limited impact, you know, a, a right wing back by trade playing in that forward line. Um, so losing a bit of that attacking finesse, you know, we know that Swift is so good in those tight spaces. We know that he's got a very good uh, shot on him from range. And we also know that he's very good with a dead ball. So Swift being out for the season could be an issue for them. And it does feel like this is an important game for them in order just to reaffirm their promotion credentials automatically or certainly by through the playoffs, at least by keeping Borough at arm's length or even further. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting one for Borough as well, 
They won from behind in midweek against Huddersfield. And without meaning to be rude, I must say that a win against Huddersfield, perhaps like a win against Bristol City, probably holds a little less value. It impresses me less, not to go all Shania Twain on you, um, than a win uh, against other teams in the division because Huddersfield are in a tough spot at the moment and they fall apart pretty quickly. It was a brilliant solo wonder goal from Duncan Watmore. You've got to go and check that out if you haven't seen it already. And an Ashley Fletcher penalty. And, and that was much needed. Borough had only picked up one point from five games prior to that, which had really stunted their playoff potential. A lot of that poor run was put down to key absences. Dale Fry at the back, Marcus Tavernier, uh, Dyke Steele as well, missed a couple of those games. And so things are a little more positive for Neil Warnock. Not only did he have his first dose of the coronavirus vaccine this week, or the injection, as he calls it, uh, he's also, I think, looking forward to welcoming back those two key men, Fry and Tavernier, this weekend. He does need to clear something up for me, though, George, because this week, when talking about Fry, he said... He cheers me up, Dale, when he's fit, because he's the best in the league. Now, that's a lovely thing to say about your young wow. centre-back. But earlier in the season, he said this when we're talking about Paddy McNair, his other centre-back, and comparing him to other players he's managed before. I can't think of one better than McNair. I really can't. I keep thinking, but I can't come up with anyone. What about Dale Fry, Neil? What about Dale Fry? <laughs> he said, as a player, as a pro, as a person, I've never had a better specimen than this. The exciting thing is that wow. he'll get better than this. Now, I mean, a lovely, lovely thing to hear if you're Dale Fry, if you're Paddy McNair. But what about the next time he says it about another defender? You know, it's like when we go on Sky, George, on a Friday night and I get worried that my hair looks bad and you say, you look amazing every time and you say it so often that I just find it disingenuous now. Like it's lost all, <laughs> it's lost all sort of um, motivational value. I'm worried that that's the path Warnock's going down, and that's the first and last time I'll ever compare you to him. Um, but yes, <laughs> basically to sum up, quite a big game you'd say for both sides when it comes to establishing themselves either in the playoffs or more for Reading or as a playoff contender for Borough. Um, Borough are as close to fifteenth as they are to sixth right now, so it's hard to predict how their season will end. Reading 29 to 20 with Paddy Power to win this game. The favourites, but not heavy favourites, you'd say. Borough 19 to 10 and the draw 2 to 1. This is going to be a fascinating game in the Championship this weekend. As for League One, George, what are we looking at this week? Peterborough against AFC Wimbledon. Oh, a big game. You know, normally we look at two sides who are kind of competing in similar areas of the table but here we've got a posh side looking to get promotion and we've got an AFC Wimbledon side under a new permanent manager looking to get themselves away from that drop zone and the odds reflect that with Peterborough being four to seven favourites the home side three to one the draw and four to one AFC Wimbledon with Paddy Power and I'm taking posh here posh are brilliant you know how's this for some cutting edge analysis Ali Peterborough a third in the league and one point off top that's it. Wow, that's amazing that, analysis. Thank you. But that, but I feel like we are sleeping. Um, you know, no one is understanding or talking about Peterborough in this promotion race. We've heard the Hull are the favourites. Lincoln now top of the table. Pompey the one hot on the heels. But Posh have been so impressive for so long now, and especially their home form. You look at their last seven games at home. They've won. Um, they've won six of them, drawing just one. That was a nil draw against Bristol Rovers. They have that array of attacking talent that we also, that we so often discuss, whether it's Sammy Smodix or or Siriki Dembele or Johnson Clark Harris. And it was those two latter players who were the key in a three-one win against Gillingham in midweek, where they were one nil down at half-time before coming back in the second half to win it 3-1. And the introduction of Siriki Dembele was crucial to that. Um, he came on at half-time, having been out for the previous game with a knock. Um, Darren Ferguson had, had experimented with some, something we hadn't necessarily seen before with Johnson Clark-Harris and Mo Issa playing as a front two. It didn't really work. Issa made, was uh, substituted without really making an impact both on the weekend and midweek. But Dembele came on and... Just go and watch his goal, which is the second goal, because here you're going to see every single part of Siriki Dembele's game in about 30 seconds, because he's the player who gets on the ball on the halfway line in a central area and plays an unbelievable pass <laughs> through to Johnson Clark Harris. It's not it's a defence splitting pass into the channel, but not many wide players, or you know, he's not really a wide player anymore, not many forward players whose key strengths are their dribbling ability, their shooting ability, have that 
vision and class to pull off the pass that he does. Clark Harris gets the ball on the byline, sets it back, and then there's Dembele making a late run into the box where he then beats a man before finishing into the right-hand corner. It's just of a different level to what we normally see at League One, a player who can just do it all. And that is so key to to keeping hold of a player who, who it seemed wanted to leave the club in January. And then Johnson Clark-Harris got the other two goals. That's four and three for him now. Uh, and he looks to be hitting form at a pretty dangerous time. I might go as far as saying that I think Peterborough are the most likely winners of League One now because this form is fairly relentless. They had a mini blip a couple of weeks ago where they picked up just one point in two games against Bristol Rovers and Shrewsbury. Um, but except for that, they've been relentless now for the last couple of months. And, and I think it would have to, we'd have to see either some kind of an in injury crisis or a massive drop-off in form to stop them now, especially because they're so good at home. Hell of an impact, wasn't it, from the man that we call Sir Ricky in midweek. They're up against a Wimbledon side who have just appointed their manager, a permanent one, to replace Glyn Hodges. And it's the man who was his interim manager, Mark Robinson. We've spoken about on the podcast already a couple of weeks ago. We heard the fact that even after just one game in charge in the EFL Trophy, he wasn't just holding the fort, if you will. He had some pretty strong ideas about the standards that needed improving at the club and how to go about doing that. And, and he has persuaded the powers that be that he's the man to do that full time. Robinson's got a pretty amazing and pretty inspiring, I'd say, story to get to this point. Something he's been working towards for a long time, but an unusual journey, I suppose. He's had an, a number of jobs outside of football, including running a soft play centre in Earlsfield with his wife, which has been very successful. Um, but he's been with Wimbledon since 2004 and has had many roles. He's worn a number of hats, including head of youth, centre of excellence manager, academy manager, lead professional phase coach and loan manager, first team coach, and then, of course, interim manager for the first team. Of course, that means he knows and gets the club. And sometimes we roll our eyes a bit um, when fans suggest that someone gets their club more than others. I think it's I think it is a little more important for Dons than for other clubs. I mean, you pointed out the other week that on the Wimbledon Wikipedia page, their list of managers has their place of birth listed, which is only really notable because it's almost always somewhere in and around London based, you know, southwest, southwest or central. <laughs> Hillingdon, Lambeth, Epsom, Neil Ardley from Epsom. That's that's a million miles away, isn't it? <laughs> ha uh, Hammersmith, uh, Wally Downs and Streatham, of course, Glyn Hodges. I'm not sure exactly, but a bit of research tells me that Robinson might well be Wandsworth born and bred. So again, um, someone who knows the local area very well. He's also become the only EFL manager, George, whose Twitter profile picture is him in the middle of a group of eight mates in a pub awkwardly bunched together, locking arms and grinning in the sort of way that you only bother doing when you've had around nine bottles of Peroni. Um, but the, <laughs> do, do you know what's funny? That the appointment appears to have gone down very well in the fan base. I thought there might be a hunger for an external appointment, maybe someone with more managerial experience, which is obviously what Robinson lacks. But he's clearly had a big impact on the club and its fans, not only in the last two weeks, but over the last 17 years. As for the football, well, he only had one league game in charge as caretaker. It was a 3-2 win against Wigan. Let's see how he goes against this impressive posh side this weekend. The first thing he did in that game against Wigan was switch from a three at the back formation to a 4-2-3-1. But as you've said, with Dembele, with Smodix and Clark Harris buzzing around in the final third, maybe he'll go for that extra protection and go back to a three at the back. We will see. Fascinating game though. Posh, understandably heavy favourites with Paddy Power. Four to seven to win the game. Wimbledon four to one outsiders and the draw three to one. Last but not least, George, there's a really eye-catching fixture in League Two. Salford against Carlisle. You're going to tell me about Salford City, one of the form teams, you'd say, in League Two at the moment, looking ominous for their promotion rivals. Yeah, they are one of the form teams. Um, <clears throat> the, the one poor result in recent times was a 2-1 defeat against Oldham, where they hit the woodwork three times and, and were very unlucky not to win the game. And if you, if you take that out, they look... I mean, again, as you say, uh, they look ominously good. And it's not a massive surprise when you look at the players they've got at their disposal. And you can see why January was so important to them. Because in Richie Towell, you've got a player who they bought from the championship who 
should be much better than this level and was crucial to them last season. He's been injured for the first half of this campaign and his return to the team alongside the arrival of Paul Coots from from, um, Fleetwood in January means that their midfield three is now Paul Coots, Jason Lowe and Richie Towell. That is unfair at League Two level. In terms of just sheer ball-playing ability and um, passing range and being able to control games, that is a very, very good trio. And when you've got Robbie Gotts' legs in behind Ian Henderson with Ashley Hunter on the right-hand side and Ibu Torre on the left, it's it's clear to see that this is a side who should be towards the top end of the table and have probably been underperforming this season. They demolished Cambridge 4-1. And then midweek, they come up, came up against an awkward Barrow side, took the lead early, another great bit of pressing from the older statesman Ian Henderson to get 1-0 up. And then it was a game of a few chances which they managed to see out without much issue. This is a huge game for them now because Carlisle, despite being down in ninth in the table, come into it after a couple of, well, after a poor result against uh, Harrogate in midweek, which they lost 1-0. They're playing catch-up now. You know, they they played 25 games, so three fewer than most, uh, two or three fewer than most, but they are now nine points off the top. And for Salford, this is an opportunity to beat one of the teams who they are going to be challenging with for a top three spot, but also get themselves that little bit closer to Forest Green, who are still seven points ahead of them. You know, I mentioned that Peterborough aside, who are maybe ghosting into the promotion places. And I feel like the same can be said of Salford, maybe because people expected them to be there at the beginning of the season. It's not a massive surprise to see them doing it. But we're seeing now, especially with, you know, we anticipated when Richie Wellens came to the club that for a player like, um, in Henderson, it could be pretty important seeing what happened with Owen Doyle last season at Swindon. That might be coming true now because he scored four goals in their last three, got two assists against Cambridge. And it does feel like a side that's now being built, being catered around creating chances for a player who we know is such a good finisher at this level. So Salford City won to, uh, yeah, a pretty awkward game for, for Carlisle on the weekend. Well, they've got a lot of games, some of them awkward, some of them less so. But Carlisle, having only played four games in 2021, where, for comparison, Stevenage in the same league as them have played 10 league games, uh, it just shows the bizarre situation that they find themselves in Carlisle after uh, suffering a COVID outbreak and a number of, of pitches waterlogged, frozen, you name it. They've had it up in Cumbria. Um, they're, they're second in the league on points per game, the Cumbrians, but eighth in the actual table, and they've got 22 games to play. Now, I got the calendar up earlier, and there are, by my reckoning, 23 slots available if you add up all the Saturdays and midweeks from now to the end of the season. So there's not a lot of wiggle room, a lot of games to play. They've got five games in hand over Cambridge at the top of the table, and Cambridge are, what are they, seven points ahead of them. So that's where they want to be, because actually before this sort of stuttered start to the year, Carlisle were being talked about by ourselves and others as the best team in League Two, uh, a team that had a repeatable style that teams were finding very difficult to cope with, high intensity um, without the ball and moving it forward very, very quickly. It was efficient. It was quite an eye-catching style. The nickname Beach Ball went very well alongside it and everything was kind of hunky-dory and maybe now they've lost a little bit of rhythm. Uh, two defeats in a row now in the league, albeit games in which they were by no means dominated by Forest Green and Harrogate, but just a little off the pace potentially. Lost a little bit of that intensity, a little bit of that confidence or precision. A lot of words I'm chucking at you there. I don't know the answer myself, but but things that they had earlier in the campaign. So the big question for Carlisle is, with so many fixtures on the horizon, can they refine that high intensity, that precise attacking game that they had in the first few months of the season in the coming weeks? Because if they can, of course, they've still got a fantastic chance of automatic promotion. But just through really little fault of their own, it feels like a lot less of a sure thing than it might have done if you'd asked me about Carlisle's automatic promotion hopes in mid-December when they were just this winning machine. I mean, this game against Salford comes at a bad time, as you've said, Salford in great form and I think they've unbeaten at home in the league this season as well. So that's why Paddy Power have got them slight favourites for this one, 29 to 20, Carlisle 17 to 10 and the draw 21 to 10. So just in terms of a, a sporting occasion, a competitive game in League Two this weekend, Salford and Carlisle very much the place to be. 
that's the weekend then and that is the show let's hope it goes all ahead as planned thank you for listening and thank you to thomas sangard for speaking with us matt and the team will be with you on monday and we will of course be with you next thursday but for now have a good weekend and goodbye you've been listening to the totally football league show extra time part of the athletic podcast network keep up to date with everything totally at the totallyfootballshow.com and by following at the totally show on twitter and insta check out all of the athletics football podcasts on apple spotify and all the usual places or listen ad free on the athletic app the totally football league show is a money news media production and sponsored by paddy power hi i'm james mcnicholas and i'm here to tell you about the latest series from beyond the headline the making of big sam You see, Sam Allardyce seemingly can't quit English football, and English football can't quit him. But why? Why does football keep coming back to Sam Allardyce? To answer those questions and more, you'll hear from Big Sam himself, those who have worked for him, and those who've witnessed the full Big Sam experience. You can hear it all now and ad-free via the Athletic app. Just search for Beyond the Headline now. The Athletic.